Wow, good to be here at Gentle Shepherd. Been a while since I've, I've uh, been here to speak, but uh, good to be back. In fact, I don't know when it was, but I know that uh, after 35 years at Rock Church, I was able to transition that to Pastor Jared Kaki, who's doing a wonderful job. And that has freed me up to be able to travel and uh, be about. And this year has been a little bit crazy, huh? And <laughs> But uh, by the grace of God, since uh, the middle of July, I think this is the 13th church that I've been able to go and preach at. And uh, a lot of our churches are meeting, even though some are choosing to not meet in other groups and so on. But our fellowship of churches have been meeting. And uh, we're on the air where almost all of them are doing what you're doing, live stream. So we don't know how many people are actually with us this morning, but there's more than are here. And uh, that's always the case. So it's good to be here. And I'm going to just share just a little bit before I get to the word about the FCA. So if we could get that up and or where are we at? Oh, we're well into it. Can we get toward the beginning? Maybe. I don't know. Can, can you go backwards or no? OK, let's go backwards and we'll start it. We'll get at the beginning of it. <laughs> Yeah, it did. There we are. That was the end. That's the end of it. That's all you got. All right. Well, let's let's start there. Uh, this was uh, just to give a quick update. Fellowship of Christian Assemblies, and you've been as a congregation part of it for uh, most of your history. But uh, we are, are as a fellowship nearly 100 years old. We'll be celebrating uh, that in uh, 2022, the 100th anniversary of the FCA. And uh, we're, we're a group of, of independent local churches. And we use this term, we're independent, but we're interdependent. Uh, independent in that every local church uh, has their own authority. We believe that the highest order that God has created on earth is the church. And that uh, he works through the church, he works in the church, he's part of the church. And uh, so a church is set in order, we celebrate that and we work together in that. And so. As part of that, uh, we have <clears throat> established over the years, over this last hundred years, lots of churches and in the more recent past have been working hard at uh, developing how the relationships work within those congregations and within the churches. So in the U.S. there's about 90 some local churches, about 400 ministers and are listed in our directory. A quarter of our, our listings are missionaries. We're very strong on missions work and have been continuing to do that. So as we have reached out in, in missions and have uh, touched the world, the Lord's been using it for His glory, for His honor. And so a few years ago, we decided we need to recognize what God has done. And I, in February of this, this year, it's hard to believe that I was in Liberia in February of 2020 and, and uh, as we were there, we were celebrating the 100th anniversary of missionaries from the fellowship going to Liberia, West Africa. In fact, it was a lady from Duluth, single lady who went to Liberia. And now there are over uh, 300 or yeah, about 200 churches, 300 ministers in Liberia, totally indigenous. And so what we are doing is now when we have a nation that is established uh, in the fellowship, we uh, recognize them as a partner. So Liberia is a partner. We're, we're moving away from, from the old colonialism, okay? 
It used to be we talk about missionaries and uh, usually everything was related through a, a North American missionary, but now we're saying, no, no, we are brothers in this thing and we are fraternal, not paternal. We are related together on that level and so we are working together with nations. And so it's been my, my joy to be uh, working with not only Liberia, which was our first uh, partner nation, and of course Canada as well as the US, and then uh, we go from <clears throat> Liberia, Nigeria was started in 2009, and uh, they have a couple hundred churches in Nigeria, and we have uh, a Bible school there. We have uh, and then, then others that have spread out of that, Kenya, uh, Ghana, Ivory Coast, Cameroon, all partner nations in Africa that we are working with. So God's doing some wonderful things. Then the, the other thing that we've been doing is uh, on Pentecost Sunday, which is really the birthday of the church. The church started on Pentecost Sunday. And so we ask our churches to take a special offering on Pentecost Sunday for church planting. And uh, we now have uh, several that have been helped with that church planting. And uh, we have a church in Burlington, Washington, which is north of Seattle, doing very, very well. A church in Manhattan, uh, in, in New York, a church that started in, in uh, Boise, Idaho. And the latest one was Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, doing a great job. They started in the fall and, and uh, had about 100 people together, but then they were in a theater. And when COVID hit, all the theaters ended, oh, they were back to, to Boise. Uh, there we go, that's Manhattan, we're moving along. Manhattan, and now here we are in, in uh, Burlington. And let me go to the next one. This will be uh, J Kim and Justin Allison. They were in uh, this theater, give me one more. There we go, they were uh, doing great. And then COVID hit and they had to leave the theater. So they're now moving into a uh, leased building. I'll be with them, Lord willing, in February. But uh, we were able to send $20,000 in October to help them get that lease signed and start the build out because of what we did cooperatively. So here we go. Now, Mexico City. This is one of our affiliates, uh, Tim Ost. <clears throat> they uh, started Faith, Hope and Love Centers in Mexico City. And God has been blessing that ministry in such an incredible way. Uh, I was in center number two, they call it. They have five Sunday morning services, probably 1,500 people in each service. And uh, I preached the second of the five, and we had about 30 people come to Christ that day, and then we had to fly out. But God doing some good stuff. They are, they are uh, discipling and uh, seeing people multiplying. One of the really cool stories Tim told me was that we don't know what God is doing. It's, it's beyond our ability to control it. We don't want to control it. But said so they found out a guy who had gotten saved at center number one, I believe it was, went up into the mountains of Mexico and now has 80 churches that have developed out of his ministry. And they had no idea it was even there. Amen. So God doing some cool stuff. And they're an affiliate with us in Mexico. OK, uh, this was the Bible school in Nigeria. I was there in November. Upper left, that Bible school building was built primarily with a few offerings and uh, the honorariums that uh, were given when I was ministering in different places. And so we were able to get that up. The uh, leader of that is uh, Bishop Success, who's on the right side. The team that I took with me, uh, Gail and Nate Mullins from uh, Seattle area, uh, Dan Hammer from uh, Seattle. He's uh, head of the Seattle Bible College and is partnering with these schools. And then uh, Bart Hannigan from New York. And then Liberia, this was the mission compound that uh, now is, uh, there are no missionaries there, but that's the place it was. George Call had been uh, part of Rock Church and uh, 
So I mean, I, he still has family in Rockford, but he was from Rockford. George and Billy went, and they had uh, uh, served for a number of years, and George was killed in a plane crash in 1982. But Billy stayed and continued the ministry, and uh, this is part of the fruit of that. This is the past president. They just got a roof on their building so they can meet. Uh, the bottom uh, picture on the, on the right, that's a, a church plant. They got a roof up. They have about 60 chairs at a neighbor's house, carry the chairs in, have church every Sunday morning. So they're multiplying. This is another church. They now got the roof on this building. Go ahead. Uh, and then this is uh, Josiah and uh, Ruth Swen. I don't know if they've been here. They may have. Uh, he's been to Rockford a number of times. But this is the uh, new Crewtown Church. Billy Call from Rockford and her husband, George, planted this church. Actually, Billy did after George was killed. And uh, the building seats about a thousand people. And for our last service, I think we were close to that with a centennial celebration in uh, New Crewtown, Monrovia, Liberia. And then back to the last one, which was on my way out of, uh, I was in Brussels on the way home. And, and uh, many times in international airports, when, you, when you're leaving, they'll have places for you to deposit your money because uh, usually... If you've been in the country, you're not going to need that money when you get home. So they say, oh, leave your money here and bless a project. So I, I just said, as I looked at that, I was very taken and it's maybe a little bit hard to see, but there's on the bottom, the barrels with money. The one and the second from the left is the fullest, obviously. And uh, the first one, I can't remember what it was, but it was something to do with African children. Then it was the World Wildlife Found Foundation and uh, the Panda Bears, then the Red Cross and then UNICEF. And... Uh, I, I, you know, and I had to be careful with this because I had somebody say, well, don't you care about animals? Yeah, I care about animals. But uh, the, uh, the reality was the panda bear got a lot more than all the rest of them. And uh, unfortunately, panda bears don't go to heaven, but people do. And uh, what do we value and how do we value people who need Jesus? All right. So that's enough. That's the FCA. And uh, you're part of something way bigger than you are. And uh, way bigger than any of us are, we just are glad to be part of it and be fellowshipping with you. So thank you, Pastor Gary, for letting me come and share this morning. And, and let me take you to the, to the Bible, Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. And I'm going to talk about three words this morning, faith, fear, and love. Faith, fear, and love. Or fear, faith, and love, however you want to put it. I'm going to start that way. But in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, this is the summation of the Sermon on the Mount. It's recorded for us in Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 5, 6, and 7, record the whole Sermon on the Mount. In Luke's Gospel, we have just a summary of it, but uh, this is uh, the, the part that I want to just focus this on for a few minutes this morning. Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 31, he says, But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. And then the focus of what we share. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Do not fear, little flock. Jesus, and, and what an appropriate uh, place to preach this message where uh, there's a gentle shepherd fellowship. And uh, that, that picture of sheep and shepherd is something that Jesus uses often. We have the, the picture of the, the great shepherd. We have the picture of the sheep. We have the even in, in the restoration of Peter, it's feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. It's those, those pictures that Jesus uses of this, 
this lambs and of the flock and of, of his work. And I'm, I'm going to talk about that in a little more context here. Fear. Fear is something that uh, is, is an emotion and it's a response that we have to things that may be happening around us. In, in some places, fear is a good thing. Fear is a good thing. Fear is what triggers the fight or flight response. It's, it's what causes me to become alert and to do whatever needs to be done to deal with the situation. Uh, we, we have a, a certain level of fear that has been put into us as little children. Don't touch that hot stove because if you do, you're going to get burned and you maybe touch it one time and then you know why they told you don't touch it. Amen. Yeah, some of us learn by observation. Some of us learn by experience. <laughs> you know? Observation is much easier. I'll never forget, I was about 15, uh, no, I was about 10 years old, and my grandpa being very cheap on the farm, he uh, had hired Johnny Crane, who was the pastor's son, and, and Johnny Crane had uh, been taking basic electricity at the high school level. So Johnny, he assumes it knows way more than my grandpa does, so he hires John to do some electrical work in our farm, and I'm, I'm interested, and I'm watching this thing go on, and and, and John is up on a ladder in our bedroom, and he's standing up on the ladder, and he's, he's getting ready to wire together something on the light fixture, and he gets the two wires together, gets a good shock, and he goes flying off the ladder, lands on the bed, fortunately, didn't get hurt, but he got a good shock out of it. So I said to myself, self, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. And... And pretty much I've avoided doing that for most of my life. I, I, I just, you know, I don't want to grab hold of high power wires or even like basic electricity because I, I, I just, you know, I observed what it did to Johnny. So we, we you know, but fear says let's, let's live with, with some recognition of that. Now, sadly, it's the quickest way to get a response. As parents, sometimes this is how we deal with our kids. If you don't, I will. You know, we, we want to instill the fear of God in them. You stop, you quit, whatever. And, uh, you know, and sometimes we, we don't do it well. You know, if you don't quit doing that, I'm going to ground you for the rest of your life. Right. You're not grounding anybody for the rest of your life. And in fact, you never forget that when you ground your kid, you ground yourself. So you have, to, you have to be the jailer now for your kid. So, you know, do what you're going to do and, and, and make sure it's done quick. I preferred other forms of uh, uh, dissuading them from whatever they were doing. Or show up on time or you're fired. There, there is that certain fear. But here's the problem. Fear as a motivator, if it has delayed consequences has diminishing effect. Uh, men do evil, Ecclesiastes says, because the sentence is not executed speedily. There's a problem. If we're trying to motivate somebody by fear, but we don't execute the sentence, it's not going to work. If the policeman says, well, you, you, you stop or you're going to go to jail, but then doesn't take you to jail, you're, there's no sentence. There's no execution. There's nothing that's going to happen. And, and then we have this one. And this, is, this has been part of the church. Jesus is returning. Amen? Amen. He is coming back. 
But to say you better, kind of like Santa Claus, you better watch out, you better not pout, you better be nice because Jesus is coming. And Jesus could see you. And, and then we, we have Jesus is coming tonight, you know, or he's coming soon. He's coming today. I remember my, my mother telling me that, that you know, I, I'm one of those generation people here, okay? Uh, I was born in July 5th, 1948. Israel was born May 14th, 1948. So when Israel became a nation in 1948, it triggered a, a lot of speculation in, in the prophetic realm. And I believe it is part of God's plan and part of the prophecy. And we're, we're certainly way closer than we've ever been to the coming of the Lord. This is the things are, are put in place and things are moving in, the, in that direction. But in 1948, when I'm born, my mother is pregnant when Israel becomes a nation. And the, the, the word uh, uh, in, in the scripture was beware of those who are nursing in those times. And uh, she's in panic because, well, I don't know. I, I, you know, the Lord might come right now. And, and every Sunday night, it was the sermon on the coming of the Lord. But he hadn't come yet. And now 72 years later, we're still waiting for that coming. So motivating by saying, well, the Lord's coming tonight doesn't get it done. But Peter says, listen, scoffers will say, where is the sign of his coming? Scoffers will say things continue as they always have from the beginning. But this they will fully forget that the flood came. That the flood came, that God did intervene that God did change history. And so we need to be reminded that, that things may not seem to have changed, but they will change and things will happen. And so we need to be careful that we don't try to say, well, we, we need to live in the fear of the coming of the Lord. We live in anticipation of the coming of the Lord. Amen. We're not motivated to live righteously by fear of His coming. We're motivated to live righteously because we love He is coming and we're looking forward to His day and we want to see Him. So we're not living in fear, we're living in confidence and expectation of His coming to be with us and to take us to be with Him. Amen. See, fear of consequences does not keep us from the pleasures of sin for the season. That's the problem. We live in a world where the pleasure of sin is there for a season. And that fear of consequence often doesn't prevent people from moving in that direction. That fear doesn't stop us. It has to be something else. See, there's only one that we should fear, and that is the Lord himself. So but let, me, let me just give you a couple other things on this part of the subject. Today, the first Sunday of Advent. And interesting, fear is part of that story. Here's John. John's father, Zacharias, is in the temple and offering sacrifices. And an angel appears to him in the temple. He never had anything like this happen. He's been there before, but this day an angel shows up. And when the angel shows up, said, don't be afraid. Your prayers are going to be answered. He doesn't believe it could have happened, but he said, your prayers will be answered. And you call the guy's name John. Don't be afraid. And then the next part of that, here comes the angel to Mary. Mary, don't be afraid. The Lord is going to come. Don't live in fear. Understand this is good news. And then, of course, the shepherds, the night of the 
birth of Jesus. They're in the field. The angels show up. The choir begins to sing, and they're in panic. Well, the angels have to say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The good news is we don't have to be afraid of God. We don't have to be afraid of his expectation, of his revelation. We can live in anticipation of that because we know who we are. Now, let me just give you this. How do we deal with fear? Fear is often the result of intimidation when we forget who we are in Christ. Fear usually involves intimidation. Fear not, little flock. Fear not, he says. Now, Peter records it, 1 Peter 5, 8. Satan goes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may destroy. He's looking for those. But here's a couple of pictures for us. The fear that comes and the danger that comes is when the flock is scattered. The wolves or the lions don't attack the middle of the flock. They attack the stray on the edge of the flock, the one who dropped out, the one who is far away, the one who is not near. That's the one who is vulnerable. Huh? And, and so we are called to recognize we are placed in the body, we're in the flock, we're in the family, we're connected together, and because of that, we have safety because of that connection. And so we need to understand, we as the flock of God need to be connected to one another for his protection. Huh? That's where we find that protection. Now, you know, I, I love one of the old stories from the Bible. It's so familiar and often quoted and shared, but David and Goliath, it's the, it's the story of the, the little guy and the big guy, right? And, and uh, you know, they, the whole picture in that story is Goliath comes and he is intimidating an entire army because he's saying, just give me one guy. Give me one guy who will come and I'll take him on. And uh, if, if I win, you'll serve us. If you win, we'll serve you. But I'm never going to lose. That was basically Goliath's intimidation. I mean, when you've got a guy who's whatever, close to nine feet tall, he's a big dude, you know that you're not going to get near this guy. And, and you know, if you look at the, the story, the one who should have been taking him on was Saul, because he's the biggest guy in Israel. It says that Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. So Saul was a big dude, but he was intimidated by a bigger dude. And then here comes David. And David says to Saul, this guy is going to be like the lion and the bear that I took out. Right. Now here's, the, here's the, the, the issue. If God has ever done something for you, don't forget what he did. Amen. Don't forget what he did. The confidence that David had facing the fear of Goliath was he will be like one of the bears and one of the lions that I took away that were attacking my flock and I went after them and I destroyed them and this guy is going after the flock of Israel and I'm going after him and he's coming down because he will be like one of those. 
He didn't forget where he came from. He didn't forget what God had done. The reality is, for most of us, we quickly forget what God has done. Every time we face a new challenge, it's like we never had a victory in our life. It's like, oh my goodness, here we go. We're facing something tragic, difficult, and and we haven't had any victories? Oh, yes, we have. God has been with us. God has helped us. God has sustained us through so many times. Whether it's financial or physical or emotional or relational, God has sustained us. He has kept us and he is with us. And we need to remember, as God has been with us in the past, he will be with us in the future. We don't have to live in the fear. We live in the confidence. The story of Mark, the disciples are in the boat, and uh, Mark 8, Jesus says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the scribes. And so the guys immediately say, Leaven, leaven, leaven. Oh my goodness, we forgot the bread. (laughs) We forgot the bread. Oh my. That's why Jesus is talking about leaven. We forgot the bread. And Jesus says, wait a minute, guys, you, you're missing the, what's needed here. It's not about bread. Don't you remember that I took five loaves and a couple of fish and we fed 5,000? And how many baskets did you have left over? Oh, we had 12 baskets. Okay. And then don't you remember the other time we did the 4,000 with the seven loaves and you ended up with seven basketfuls at the end of that? Yeah, I guess so. So it's not about bread, right, Jesus? No, it's about remembering what God has done. It's not about the loaf you forgot. It's remembering that Jesus can make a lot. So let me move you on. We really deal with fear, which is a very real emotion of something that we struggle with and something that is part of us. And, you know, sadly, we're we're in that time right now where the whole world is in in panic, right? I mean, we're we're living in fear, Um, fear of COVID. And, and here's, the, here's the problem. The world is living to not die because there's no eternal hope. Now, I, I'm not suggesting that we not be careful. I've got my little Perel here in my pocket. I carry it all the time. I even got a mask here somewhere. There's a mask if you need it. But I've had COVID, so it really probably doesn't matter quite as much. I, we had 24th of September. I uh, not feeling good and chills, fever and go do the test. It sure is the world. I got COVID. And when a week later, still got COVID. So twice positive. So I guess I really had it. My wife had it. Thankfully, minimal symptoms and, and we're doing well. But, you know, in fact, I, I, I actually felt better than I'd felt in about three months after I got over COVID. So I don't know, maybe I had it for a while. But whatever it was, you know, but I, I, the, the, the challenge is, this whole thing started, we don't want to overrun the hospitals. And where it went to was, we don't want anybody to die. That's really kind of where we went. And, and here's the thing, if you don't have hope, you better stay alive. If you don't have eternal hope, you better do all you can to stay alive in this world, because that's all you got. It's going to be over. But if we have eternal hope, we know we're going to be with Jesus. 
Now, I'm not, again, I'm not suggesting carelessness. I'm not suggesting that we run out and, and do stupid stuff. I'm not saying that at all. And I know that, you know, some people unknowingly may be way more vulnerable than others and, and may have way worse whatever. That's not my point. My point is this. We have eternal hope and we're living to live. We're living to live eternally. We're living to live for eternity. And and as such, we don't have to live in a panic fear. We live in a recognition of reality. Let, let, let me just give you this. It's one one way I want to share, but let, let me share it quickly. Some people live in what I call reckless faith. Reckless faith says, whatever I do, God is with me and it's going to be okay. Doesn't matter, I'm going to be careless with my hygiene, careless with my nutrition. Doesn't matter. God is my God and he's going to take care of me. Let, you know, I got news for you. A 16-ounce bag of potato chips is not a normal 2,000-calorie diet every day. Huh? I mean, that's, that's, not, that's, that's not healthy. If you don't wash your hands, if you don't take care of yourself with hygiene, you're probably going to get sick. You're probably going to have issues. I mean, that's, you know, faith it says, I don't have to wash my hands. No, no, no. That's not, that's not faith. That's reckless. And, and if you want to take it to, a, to another level, recklessness, it's, it's, it's when I... Uh, make assumptions that I will never have a problem, I'll never have a challenge, I'll never have a difficulty. You know, we're, we're going to have challenges, we're going to have difficulties. D there's another kind of faith, which I call risky faith. Risky faith recognizes the potential challenges and the potential consequences, but goes ahead anyway. That's where, that's where we really are called to live. We are honest enough to say, you know what? This challenge may be way beyond my capacity, but if God's calling me, if God's put me there, then he's going to do it with me, huh? That, that's risky faith. And I, I, love the, I love the picture of Esther. Esther, who, who is going to go before the king and she could die, but she needs to go before the king to plead for the life of her people. And so she, this is her, her word to her, her uncle Mordecai. She says, listen, you pray, we're going to pray, and three days from now, I'm going to go in, and when I get there, if I perish, I perish, but I'm going in. Christians have been the ones who, whether it's been the, the Black Plague in centuries ago, whether it was the Spanish flu in 1918, or whether it was the AIDS epidemic, or whatever it's been, Christians have been the people who've cared for other people because they knew the risk but they were willing to take it and say, I'm willing to do that because I believe God is with me and I'm going to go do it. So, so faith in Christ allows me to go into those places where it may seem risky, but I'm doing it with my eyes wide open. If I die, I'm going to be with Jesus. I, I, I'm going to do it. If, if, I, if I fail, he's still with me. I'm going to get it done in him. So faith, here's faith. You know what? You know the definition. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It is the, the tangible of the intangible, huh? It's the tangible of that which I can't see, but it is the reality of what I'm dealing with. It's that evidence that's within the spirit. And, and what we're dealing with right now, we have a world that is in desperate need of the hope that comes through Jesus Christ. We have a world that needs to know there is something beyond what we see. It is something that we have to give them. I, one of my favorite verses 
Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. The God of hope fill you with all joy and peace that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God at work in us to give us hope, to have hope that we can share. It's that that supernatural factor that's in the believer that can't be ignored. It's that thing that allows me to face life in a way that others might say, how do you do that? It's because I know who I am and I know where I am. We're coming into the Christmas season and, and this season is really the, the season of contradiction. It's the season of incredible joy or deep despair. <laughs> you know, and, and you know, some people... It's going to be a wonderful, joyous time. Other people, deep despair. And why is that? Part of it is that we have expectations on what Christmas is going to do for us. We're going to have that courier and Ives, a little bit of snow falling and everybody around the table and the big turkey and we're all happy. And the problem is there might be an empty seat at the table, someone that, that, that we've lost this year. There might be people that can't come. There might be all kinds of things. And and sometimes our, the, the leading cause of depression is unmet expectations. Unmet expectations. Christmas doesn't solve every problem. Christmas doesn't mean every family is united. Christmas doesn't mean, you know, it might be Uncle Billy will come and get drunk. I mean, who knows? We, we have those issues that we have to deal with. So we need to keep it in focus. So what do we do? One thing is we get our focus off our needs, and onto our future hope. Get the focus in the right place, not in just what's happening around me, but that he is with me. Let me give you this encouragement. Jesus gives us peace in the storm, not always the absence of conflict. <laughs> the world defines peace as the absence of conflict. For the believer, peace is in the middle of the storm that he's still in the boat and he's still with me. Peace is knowing that he is there with me and I don't need to live in fear. I live in confidence because the one who loved me and gave himself for me is with me in the boat no matter what may come. That's where he is and that's where I can live. I live in that confidence with him. So we are living with this. Paul says, we are of all men most pitied if there isn't a resurrection. Why would I live a life that denies the pleasures of the world in anticipation of a new world if there wasn't going to be a resurrection? I live in anticipation of what is yet to come. Paul says to be absent in the body is what? To be present with the Lord. And, and in this place that we are now, we have this, this promise. Jesus has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I will be with you even until the end of the age. Our great hope and our great promise in Him. So where do we live? Let me take you to Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. Just back a couple of chapters real quick. And, and I just want to point out a couple things. Jesus is getting ready to send out 70 of his disciples. And as he's sending out these 70 disciples, he's sending them two by two. 
Luke 10, 1, to the places that he's going to go. And look so he says, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into, notice this, it's his harvest, not ours, his harvest. Go your way, behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Fear not, little flock. Now he says, you're going out as lambs among wolves. I've already shared it, but they're not alone, two by two, to start with. We need that encouragement. In fact, here's, here's something I, I think really cool. We often, when we have a, a small gathering, <laughs> you know, we call a prayer meeting and three people show up. And we inevitably will quote, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I also in their midst, Right? I mean, we always quote that, and, it, and we, we do it kind of as a, a comfort. Yeah, well, there's only two or three, but we're together, and Jesus is here. And that's true. But there's something greater that we may not get, and that is this. The synergy effect is a multiplication of the number of people who are gathered. The synergy effect. One can chase a thousand, but two shall chase... 10,000, not 2,000, 10,000. There's a multiplication, a synergy that develops when we are together and when we are connected to one another. There is something that is a dynamic that we can't necessarily put our finger on. We can't necessarily define it, but it is a reality of what happens when we have a multiplication factor that we have gathered in his name. He is present with us. And as such, we have a multiplication of the effectiveness of what we're doing. There's an agreement where two or three agree as touching any one thing, it shall be done. There is a synergy, an agreement that takes place. And so Jesus is sending these guys out two by two. And as they're going out, it says you're going out as lambs among wolves. Lambs among wolves. So that what he's really saying is you in yourself have no protection. A lamb can never take out a wolf. But a shepherd can. <laughs> See, a lamb is vulnerable. But the lamb who is dependent on the shepherd is protected. And so Jesus is really saying, I'm sending you out without your own ability, without your own protection, but I'm going with you, and because I'm with you, you have protection, and the wolves cannot destroy you. There's a place of protection. There's a place of hope, and there's a place of life. We need to be reminded that the great shepherd is with us. He is with us. And, and when they come back, they're excited. They said, verse 17 of Luke 10, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. <laughs> We're a bunch of lambs, but not only are the wolves running, but the demons are running. The whole bunch is running. Why? Because you have given us authority and power. And Jesus goes on to say, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I give you authority to trample serpents and scorpions over the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means 
hurts you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Don't get overly excited about what you can do. Don't get rejoicing that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. You see, when we have our names in heaven, we have a place of security and faith. We can rest in what Jesus has already done. Rest in what he's done. Because we can rest in what he's done, we can rest in who we are. Hebrews chapter 4 says we are called to enter in to the place of rest, where we cease from our works as God did from his. God ceases from his works. We cease from our works because we cannot work to get saved. We work because we're saved. Amen. That's right. Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And we don't always go on to quote verse 10. We are saved unto good works, which God has ordained beforehand that we should walk in them. So we're not doing penance to get into his favor. We're not doing works to try to somehow get to a place where we can be God's. But we are rather, because we can rest in what he's done, that what Jesus did on the cross is more than enough, because we can rest in that, we can then work for him with freedom, joy, and blessing. We are his. Let me give you one more thought on this, and then i got to get wrapping up here. But... The kingdom mindset overcomes fear with faith. Amen. Your kingdom come, Jesus taught us to pray. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven is a place where God's work is always done. And when we seek that, the other stuff can follow us. Amen. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We're not seeking the things, we're seeking Him. Let me give you this last thought. Love. Fear is a motivator for a season, but many times the consequences don't allow it to continue. But love doesn't have an end date. Love doesn't have an expiration time. Love continues. We love Him. Why? Because He first loved us. Love, this is my simple de definition, love seeks the best for the object of its affection. Love seeks the best for the object of its affection. If I love my wife, I want the best for her. I want the best for Becky, 52 years of that. Still want the best for her. I want her the best, why? Because I love her. Understand that God loves you and wants the best for you. God's love for you is for your good, for the best. Hebrews chapter 12 says, We had earthly fathers who disciplined us as seemed best to them, or in some translations, for their own pleasure. Sometimes we discipline kids to get them out of our hair. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm not the only one. I know that. <laughs> Shut up and be quiet and don't bother me anymore. You know? But God disciplines us so that we can be partakers of his righteousness and of his holiness. 
the best for us. That's God's intention always. And, and so we are called to, to seek that best for ourselves personally and for those that we love and care about us. God demonstrates, obviously, his love so much that he sent us Jesus. But let me give you this. Jesus in John 15 is speaking to the disciples and it's the chapter with the vine and the branches. But in verse nine, he says, as the father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. As the father loved me, I love you. We can develop this further, but lots of people who have been raised in dysfunctional homes have a deficit that makes it very difficult for them to love other people. Because they've never experienced real love. They never experienced somebody who just cared for them and for their best interest. They lived with people who were selfish and had their own agendas and all that goes with it. But let me just encourage us. If we have received the love of the Father, we have received the love of Jesus, unconditional, complete, and, and full we can love ourselves because he loved us. And we can love others with the love that we have received. That's how, we, that's how we function. Life verse for me became dealing with a very difficult situation and a betrayal and all that went with it. And, and in Ephesians 4.32, listen to what he says. Be kind and tender-hearted one toward another, forgiving one another just as God for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. When I am tempted to deal with an issue where I say, you don't know what they did to me, you don't know what happened to me, I just tell them, listen, what has God done for you? When I understand that God has forgiven the impossible, that God has bridged the impossible gap for me, what right do I have to withhold that from another? Right. He forgave me. And I forgive on the basis of having been forgiven. He loved me, and I love based on the love that he has had for me. I share it that way. And then Jesus goes on to say something very significant. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. The motivation of love here is simply this, we're his friends. A servant knows what to do, a friend knows why he's doing it. Amen. When I know why I'm doing something, there is no task too difficult, there is nothing that is too hard. When I'm just sent out and, you know, go dig that ditch over there. <laughs> why? Ah, don't worry, just dig the ditch. I'm not real motivated to dig that ditch. But if I'm told, if you get that ditch dug, we're going to be able to run water into your house and you'll have a hot shower and you'll be able to, to uh, use the electricity and the water and all the other utilities because that ditch is the only way it's going to get to your house, I'm digging. Why? Because I know why I'm digging, right? Amen. Jesus doesn't just say, go out and do stuff. Jesus says, you're building my kingdom. You're my friends. I love you. We're together. We're working for your kingdom in this. Amen? Amen. But love is the summation of the law. 
What is the greatest commandment Jesus has asked? Well, it's simply this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. Seek the best for my relationship with God. Seek the best for my neighbor. And I'm on my way. And then kind of bringing this back full circle. And it's this. Perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love overcomes fear. Perfect love releases the fear into a place of confidence because I'm loved, I can love. Because he cares for me, I'm protected. Because I'm submitted to him, I have security. And I am in him. And I have a future and a hope. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for the hope that you've given to us. Lord, I pray for Gentle Shepherd Fellowship. Thank you for this ministry that has been here for so many years, faithfully proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for increase. We pray for multiplication. Thank you for Pastor Gary and Dolan now taking leadership. Thank you for Pastor Alan Judy that laid such a foundation. Father, we just thank you that we can, can move into a future and into this season with expectation and hope in Jesus' name. Amen. That's grace.